0: Good morning, if you're listening to us in the morning. My name is Melissa Hunter Davis. I'm the founder and publisher of Sugarcane Magazine. And this is our very first This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture. (laughs) This is our first day, I'm so excited. Um, You're tuned into This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture, and I am here with two incredibly phenomenal women, and I'm so happy that they're going to be on this journey with me. This is going to be a really interesting and educational journey and fun and entertaining as well, so we're really ready to go. I'm going to um, get started. I really want to introduce the, the women that we have on the podcast, and we're going to start off with Suzanne. Suzanne, tell us about yourself. Hi there.
1: Hi, hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm excited too. Uh, This is going to be a great program. Um, We have some really interesting things lined up and so much is happening. It's going to be difficult to really cover it all in good time. So, and it's a pleasure to work with Melissa and Maria Elena. Um, It's going to be fun. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, I've been in the art scene in Jamaica, All my life really i've had other careers in the meantime in my 20s and stuff in fashion and indigenous advocacy um i came back to jamaica 20 years ago and i've been in the arts ever since as times have changed and you know the the traditional models have really they're really not working anymore especially in the global south and markets have changed and shifted i i went online with susie wong presents to support emerging jamaican artists initially and i now think very regionally um, because I do think we have to think of ourselves of a, and, and shape ourselves into a more cohesive whole. My online platform is Suzy Wong Presents um, and I work very collaboratively very fluidly so i do art fairs i do projects i mean i respond to the needs of the community essentially uh, not just artists but what other organizations need and i really love the work i do now so and this is another development on that to be able to speak to the rise of the caribbean in the arts and culture i mean in some aspects culture we've always known it we're very strong in other aspects but the art is really taking a different value space and it's um it's really great to be part of the, the tide that is rising.
0: Maria. <laughs> Good
2: morning <laughs> for those of you who are saying in the morning. And it's so great to be in this space. So thank you, Melissa and Susie. It's just an honor and a pleasure. to Um, so I am Marianne Ortiz, uh, I'm a curator, writer, um, cultural producer. So right now I work at the Birds Art Museum, Miami, where I've been there s- since 2013. And before that, I was working in Mexico City, which was a great experience um, as a curator as well. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to come to Miami was because I felt it was going to be the closest I was going to be to working home, at home. And 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 it's been that way. It's really been that way to just be able to um, be more active and be like it within the Caribbean network circle.
0: So, what can you expect? We are looking at approximately nine months. We will be taking some breaks. We will not be on every week because we need to rest. and take some time for ourselves, for our family, for you know, t- to work. So we will have some some weeks off and we'll let you know ahead of time when we won't be on. But what you can expect is great conversation about art and culture from the region, great interviews from people who are actually doing the work and making sure that you know, this ecosystem is strong, Um, and also talking about ways that we can, you know, support Caribbean art and culture, you know, where you can collect who you need to talk to who you need to buy, all of that great stuff. So that's what you can expect from us every week. And we're really looking forward to, to spending this time with you on a weekly basis for about 45 minutes to an hour. So we've been gone. So let's have a little background on how this started. We started on an app where we spoke uh, weekly for our room, which was called uh, This Week in Black Art. And I really wanted to talk about Caribbean art and culture because it didn't always come up and our conversations. And I felt like the region is really important that we need to have this conversation. And I'm based in South Florida. So I hear about the region and work that's coming out of there all the time. Big shout out to Rosie Gordon Wallace, who really gave me uh, an education just from just like little conversations, not even going to any of her talks um, that she may have put on, but just talking to her on, on a personal level. I really got a great education from her. And I want to be sure that we had this conversation going on on a regular basis. So I reached out to these lovely ladies and they agreed to do this. And I was so happy that they they're their agreement and that's how we got here. And so we decided to make this a podcast and not something that was inaccessible on an app that maybe not everyone can access or really don't want. I know that, you know, even the most basic things, our phone only has so much room, so much memory, and you want to keep apps on that are important. And so if it's not important to you, you may not download it. So this is a little easier to access. So that's how we got here. So we've been gone all summer and I understand people have been asking about us. So with that being said, Maria, Suzanne, how was your summer?
2: Well, my summer was, it was good. I I enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) um, What can I tell? Well, first and foremost, I had a child. So I just spent some time doing that. And um, that happened around June. And then I also did a little bit of work because you know I wasn't working at the museum, of course, but then I I was doing some things and um, working on an essay for an artist was very interesting that's coming up. And then also following a lot of the stuff that was happening, because I knew that there were certain artists, like for example, I knew that Bonnie Ramirez was gonna have a show at the Armory that we might talk about later, which went really well. So I was also following up on things that were happening that um that were also pertinent to to the things that I'm interested in you know right, right now
1: yeah for me summer was um i mean it was great but it's a really strange time i mean in jamaica we still have curfew we have lockdowns that we have, we're having these long stretches of lockdowns and it was very difficult um But at the same time, here we are in this beautiful country. So like people would take off for the lockdowns, you know, and have like three days in the country, which is not what you would normally do. But it was the only way you could like be with your family or something. (laughs) Um, And it also gave rise to two periods of time where I could really sit and focus and be isolated and locked down to get the work done. So I did some programming. I did a lot of programming for the rest of the year for Susie Wong. Um, I juried um, the Jamaica Art Society Fellowship Program, which was really interesting. You know, all this cohort of nominees showing such promise and and potential, really exciting stuff that was. Um, And I'm hatching, I mean, what we have in Jamaica is a real lack of documentation, archiving. And we've had two very important collectors passed recently and I'm really trying to get the estates to work around documentation of their collections and commission writers to come in um, and really articulate what they were doing. One was very visionary, one was very historical, but very kind of also had taste outside of the norm. Uh, Just both very interesting and so I'm really really trying to get those two projects off the ground as well. So that was a lot of proposal building and things like that. It was was exciting because you get to like fantasize, you know, for your end game.
0: So this summer I worked trying to make sure that I could get this podcast off the ground and all the other things that I need to get together. It was kind of a rough summer um, in that sense because, you know, constantly doing proposals and like, hey, look at us, you know, so I did that all summer. I was able to reconnect with my Caribbean roots. So you guys won't be able to see this because this is audio, but this is my great grandmother from Belize. I had a chance to meet her niece. So
1: Oh wow. The little that's baby. That's so cool. The little yeah, baby that you cute. see in this
0: picture is her. She's yeah. like 100, 100 or 99. Oh, wow. She's still alive. She's still alive and has breast cancer and and has had it for a while. She is still just as spicy (laughs) and sharp. And I was talking to her, and she was really spicy with me. And my kids were looking at me, and I was like, ah, so you see where I got it from. (laughs) This all makes sense. But spicy and sharp, and she still remembers my great grandmother. Um, it was really a, a fantastic conversation, just you know, talking to her about you know family that I didn't know that I had and where she was from and um, the background of how my great grandmother actually got here. And we were able to put some pieces together for her because after a certain point they lost touch um, and they never actually saw her again. She passed away and her family never knew what happened to her. So I, we were able to fill in pieces for each other, I was able to tell them, well, this is, you know, this is when she died, here's her death certificate. Here's what we know happened in her latter years. Her, this is when her children passed away. So it was nice to, you know, really reconnect. Um, and even though she's- been here, Yeah, and I know that she was a, she's a very strong woman, but I know that there was still a lot of sadness um, because as you start to listen to her, you realize that they'd actually been looking for her for years. And didn't know where to look. So, thank God for ancestry.com because that's actually how this all kicked off. So, oh, that's so cool.
2: Yeah. I really relate to that, um, as you can tell, because growing up, you know, a lot of our histories being in the Caribbean, like they're so fragmented, like we don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I would always used to like go back to my grandparents and ask them, like, where are you, how, where you were your grandparents, where they came from? And, and that's how I found out that. One of my, that my great, great grandmother, sh- my grandfather said that she was French, which I don't think she was, but she came from a French colony to Puerto Rico. So and you start seeing this route of passage that is just very enriching. Yes. So, congrats it is.
1: It is. I had a bit of a moment. Um, I don't know if either of you have heard of Jeanette Kong. She has um, a production company, Miss Chin Productions, and she has produced a couple of documentaries about the Chinese in Jamaica and finding her family roots. And she was part of this um, mentor um, advisor program with an institution in Toronto. And I got into some conversation on a Facebook group um, about you know Jamaica and history and all of that. And I was trying to find out some information because, like you say, it's just so ethereal. There were just like facts. You know, but not much to flesh it out. So, like on my grandma, my grandfather's side, um, coming from China, there's just no family record. You know, so I I went on to ancestry. She guided me, and she got me. I found his gravesite at the Chinese cemetery downtown. I found the Chinese um, characters for his name, so now I can go into the Chinese archives and look for him like in newspapers and shipping announcements. And turns out he's from Singapore, not Shanghai, okay. which has really shocked a lot of my family because they were all told he was from Shanghai, like my, my mom's brother and sister, my cousins were told that. And yet another, you know, the eldest child, every, they are all her children all, all knew he was from Singapore. So there's all this like mystery <laughs> and I'm still trying to get into it, but it's um, it's fascinating. It really yeah.
0: is. It is. Yeah. Finding so
1: cool.
0: And actually her, her family, which is an interesting story, they're actually Americans, but wow. they were British sympathizers. And they oh, really? clearly, you know, they lost. So, yeah. <laughs> so they went to Belize. It didn't work out. So, yeah. so they migrated to Belize. They actually went to Jamaica first. Oh, wow. That's interesting because
2: some of them also went to the Bahamas. So there's yeah. a lot of, like, what they call the the, the loyalist,
0: yes. I believe. Yes, uh, or... right. I think twice. So I also think when, during the British-American War, it was the same thing. Those, I think it was um African-Americans who fought for the British were brought to the Bahamas. But they went to Jamaica, and it was a terrible time. I think they just, they happened to go there at the wrong time. So I think there was, like, a lot of hurricanes that happened. There was, um, a
1: maybe there was a great war. earthquake.
0: I don't she didn't mention an earthquake, but she did mention like these terrible hurricanes. There was like an infection that ended up kind of spreading all over the island. A bunch of folks died. Um, They were given land that they couldn't do anything with. And it was just kind of a mess. So those who survived, because a lot of the people who went in that group died, the majority of them did. And her family was what was left. And they gave them this opportunity to go to Belize. And they were like, yes, please get us out of here. And they left and they ended up in Belize, which was called Mosquito Bay. I don't know that I would have gone anywhere called Mosquito Bay,
1: but I was like, "Oh "Oh my god!" (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, I would avoid a place with that name. (laughs) They they went,
0: and uh, and there you go. So, um, the Rayburns that that was their initial name. So that was really great. That was that was my summer. I was really happy to meet her. I was actually wearing the same thing I'm wearing now in the picture, I have to find her picture, I'll find it somewhere. So yeah, that was our summer. It seems like we had good summers and we're ready to go into the fall. So before we head into the news real quick, we got a, a few minutes. You mentioned um, the armory, so did you both go? I didn't go, I stayed home.
2: I didn't go to the armory, but I was watching it um, because um, a colleague and friend Awasan, uh, um, she was doing the, one of the se- the focus section And Mm -hmm. um, and I was also interested in being the first um, the first like real art fair in person that was happening, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was interested to see how that was being navigated and all that stuff. And I heard from colleagues that it was really nice that it was that it was less crowded yet intimate and you would have like more um, uh, really good conversations with people and that there were a lot of brown and black artists. And that was really great. And like I said earlier, like I knew that I've been following the work of mies for a little bit, and or for a while actually, and um, um, so I knew that he was going to have a booth there, so I was kind of seeing and, and kind of watching to see how that was going to be. And I also knew that, you know, I'm sure you guys also knew that there were some other galleries or initiatives from the Caribbean that were that were happening, especially after you know what you did, Susie with Artsy, like that was kind of like the beginning. Earlier in the early in the summer of this kind of kind of market, more focus mm-hmm. into into Caribbean art. So so yeah, but I didn't go.
1: I went, I went. Um, I was invited to speak on the live program around collecting Caribbean art with Kenneth Montague and Gauri Saint Floor and Tiana was moderating. Um, great talk, too short, but it was a real. I mean, you know, I like art fairs, but they can get very overwhelming. I love the new venue of the Armory. It was fresh. It was open. There was more space, probably considerations around COVID. And just the presence of the Caribbean, you know, was really, was, 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 um, it was really impressive. Because normally I would walk around a fair like that, the main fair of a, of a city, you know, during that kind of time, that kind of art week type, a model. and. You think, oh, you know, great, there's one, there's two. But, I mean, I wrote a blog on it. It's on my website, Susie Wong Presents. And I I document who was where and with who and, you know, from where. Um, and it was very exciting to see. And I, I discovered artists. I mean, I thought I knew everybody who would be up there, but I discovered some Jamaican diaspora artists that I didn't know of before. Young, they were in the um, Presents section. Um, and then you go right to Didier Williams, who was in um, the curated section, and you know, sell out booths. Bernie Ramirez sold out. Didier sold out. I know Marianne Ibrahim. She has a, a, a really great cohort of Caribbean artists of Caribbean descent, and um, beautiful work. I mean, you know, I've, I could easily have spent a fortune at Armory this time round. <laughs> What I need is collectors who say, "Here, here's a hundred grand. Go, go, get me some, you know, work worth having, and uh, curate it for them." That's what I would love. But it was really, really very heartening. And um, anyone who really wants to see, you know, the artists that were there and who were present, because you also had like Shay Lovelace at Very Small Fires, um, that was at the yeah. Independent, I think. You had Turn, which yeah. is a new gallery in the Caribbean, the first representational gallery. They are quite a powerhouse and um, really know the, the international art world. So navigate that very well. Um, and they were at future fairs, which I think is an interesting model as a collective. Aren't they modelled differently than a like the traditionally commercial fair. Do you know about that Maria? I uh, know, but um... I think they're, I think they're modeled as a collective and that they all, all the earnings from the fair are shared equally with all participants.
0: Well, that's that that's
1: really interesting. I, I, yeah, I thought so. There's something yeah. about equity there that's quite interesting. Yeah, and um,
2: transparency, I would imagine, too.
1: Yeah. Anyway, Armory was fantastic. And like you said, it was not, um, there weren't that many people. So it wasn't as crowded as usual. It wasn't as busy and kind of there's an anxiety that rises as you move through a fair because there's just so much happening i really enjoyed it and i enjoyed the satellite fairs and i i you know i really hope the fair circuit becomes more more a bit calmer a bit cooler (laughs) you know
0: yeah yeah me me too me too uh, same same here i'm hoping for that I, mm-hmm. I want to freeze, but I think we talked about freeze before. I want to freeze um, and I'm hoping that, you know, moving forward that one of the things that bothers me about Art Week Miami is not the art, but just the craziness Thank of so It's yeah. is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's by the time you're finished, you're like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, you know, kind of shrink, even though I don't think it will, honestly. But I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that all shrink and become a little bit more intimate and not so crazy and focus more on the, the work and, you know, collecting and buying than like the party scene, but this is Miami, so that's asking a lot.
2: Yeah. I wanted to say that, yes, uh, with uh, future fairs, they split 35% of the first profit, uh, which is quite nice. Oh, okay,
1: just the first profit. Yeah,
2: yeah the 35%, yeah. Um, and. I agree with you, um, uh, Melissa, just because there's a lot of saturation. And yeah. that's one thing that I've liked. And I was talking to some colleagues about this last night at an event that because we've been forced to pause a little bit, um, we are seeing new possibilities in the fairs. And that before, sometimes I felt like I was going to the same fair all the time with the same mm-hmm. artist. And, but now I've been forced to kind of rethink a little bit. And I, and I, and we're seeing new people, which is nice.
1: I think, I mean, one thing that struck me is that, you know, there's a, there are gaps, you know, so we have like in context of the Caribbean, you know, um, and thinking about us here, accessing a space like the Armory is very difficult. Um, And with Caribbean artists, you, you do get the, that there's a I don't know what to call it really there's a there's a transition that happens and then the Caribbean's kind of cut out of the conversation it's with a global North gallery Uh, the work's articulated differently Um, as a Caribbean person you might not be looked at or seen as valued as a potential collector it might not be a price point you can really Mm -hmm. consider and um, that's where um, i think the online art fairs i hope they retain some life and movement because that's how galleries in the global north can really present works of emerging rather than doing all the groundwork and then them kind of migrating to to global north galleries um and in a in a whole in a market that does not consider the 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 roots and understanding the work and the value of material culture in the region you know sorry it's a bit of a a bone of mine. <laughs>
0: no, absolutely not at all. Okay, so ladies, is there anything that you're expecting to see within the next month or you know, next six weeks that is really gonna be fantastic? What art should we be looking for? What artists are showing that you really wanna see?
2: Well, if you're in New York, if I was in New York, I would love to see the um, Aurora Barrington show at, um, um, my God, is it Patel? Or Vassil, Va- yeah. Nikola Thank you. Um, I would love to see that show. So that's something to to look for. And if you are in Rotterdam, I would love to see the show also at Kunstal Meli. Mm-hmm. because you know that's coming up. I have a really interesting partnership with Sourgrass, um, and they're um, showing Korean artists. There, I believe three for three years, I believe. So, and the artists, the inaugural artists, it seems very kind of interesting and exciting. So those are two shows that um, if you're out there, I would see. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. For me, I mean, I was thinking of going to Toronto at the end of this month because I enjoyed New York so much. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to go, but I the, the, the real drive to go was um, the Art Gallery of Ontario. They have um, a Caribbean exhibition, really, I mean, it, by the pictures, it just looks stunning, uh, fragments of epic memory, Julie Crook's curated it, It's um, and it was it was shaped out of a photographic collection of um, the largest archive of Caribbean photography that um, Black collectors in Toronto pulled together and, and supported the, the acquisition to the museum. And I don't know how, because I haven't seen the show, but they worked together within the context of the show, that collection. So I think that would be, if you're in Toronto, definitely you have to go and see that. There's also um, a group of young emerging Caribbean artists at Z33 House for Contemporary Art Design and Architecture in Belgium. Um, It is called In the Eye of the Storm. It's about climate crisis. It's about um, identity, transition, queerness, um, trans. I mean, it's really interesting and very edgy. Um, So I'd like to see that, but there's no chance of that. I just have to be happy with online. I would say, Um, Alvaro is also showing with Kyla St. George in Brooklyn. I mean, he has this way of when he comes into a city for the first time, he has like three exhibitions simultaneously, apparently. So I didn't make it to Brooklyn to see the Kyla version, but I went to Nicholas and that really is a fabulous show. Um, I would also say that in terms of news, this this past week uh, Documenta 15 announced um, their participants and Alice Yardin it's really interesting because they're, they're like community driven um, nonprofits that have been included. So you have Alice Yard in Trinidad and Tobago, and the ghetto biennial in, in Haiti are both included in that. I don't know how that will manifest in the in documentary itself, but really, really happy that they're they're included and we're part of the conversation. That's cool.
2: Um, I wanted to say going back to the show things. Um, That also, I was recently just in L.A. and I've been working uh, for this artist named Ilana Sabdi. She's from Barranquilla and she was raised in, um, she moved to L.A. when, sorry, she moved to Miami at the age of 13. And in her work, uh, she's having a show now at Cone Gallery. And I'm really looking forward to that because she also, um, you know, she's Latinx, but also in Barranquilla, you know, they have this big carnival. It's like a big Caribbean city. And she draws from um, the mari mari uh, a mask from the carnival too, oh, cool. so to create some of her abstract paintings, which I look to queerness and some other stuff. So I'm also looking up for that. And I need to give a shout out, uh, uh, of course, to April Bay, who I think her closest her show is closing soon at the, um, California. I really uh, wish Museum I could see that. that. Yeah, so that's yeah. also pretty. So yeah. there's shows all over the place, you know. Right now, I think.
0: I didn't mean to mute you. I'm sorry, that was actually for somebody else. Sorry, Sus- Susie, you want to unmute your-
1: Yeah, oh, okay,
0: sorry. unmuted. Sorry. sorry about that. It's
1: okay. I just didn't want- You were saying something, and- Susie. Yeah. Um, I was saying that, you know, the one of the, the show I would really love to see is the one you mentioned of Jasmine Thomas Garvan working with Sourgrass at Meli in yeah. Amsterdam because <clears throat> I know her work I've shown where we've done like three shows together and I know how meticulous she is how beautiful the work is how stunning it is and I just really wish I could like transmit myself over there for a day to see it <laughs> yeah. well it's gonna be up for a while I think it's gonna be up until February or something
2: like that and here in Miami the show that I really want to go see that I have it on my calendar is the one that Mikhail Solomon curated for the consortium Cause they're, yeah, that's it. That my Florida has like an interesting uh, program for supporting artists. Um, every year for different counties, they give about like I think it's what like twelve thousand dollars per artist, I believe. Um, and every year the a curator is selected to curate the the show of the winners. I did it some time ago, but Mikhail Solomon from Prism Art Fair. She's doing it this year, and I know that Mark Floridor is in the show, and yeah. others, um, kind of Caribbean-based uh, artists in Miami, that in South Florida that are pretty, pretty worth looking at. And Lonnie's show also at Locos Project. Yeah. I have to go see that show.
0: Thank <laughs> <you> <laughs> here, I going was just about that. Yeah, I was going to mention her. Um, I'm really proud of her, and I'm, I'm happy to see. Um, what she puts together. She's really great. She's done some really great, like on the side, she's done some really great mentorships with young women. My daughter adores her. My oldest daughter adores her. Um, she's kind of like that cool auntie that, you know, you wish was like your mom <laughs> in real life. Um, but her work is, uh, is, is really fantastic. And I'm, I'm happy to see that she's working with Locust Project. So I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. The Museum Association of the Caribbean is devoting its annual conference and general meeting on November 3rd through 5th to the theme, Cultivating Resilience in Museums and Cultural Heritage Sites. And Joanne Hippolyte is here to join us as she works with MAC Museums, Museum Association of the Caribbean. Joanne, hello.
3: Hi, Melissa, so glad to be here with you today and Maria and Susie.
0: So Joanne, (laughs) tell us about the conference.
3: It's an honor to be your first guest. Let me say that <laughs> first. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, um, Museum Associations of the Caribbean has has been having conferences uh, for the past thirty years. So, this is our thirty first conference. And you, usually, the conference takes place in a Caribbean country every year because we are we service museum. Um, staff, right, museum and cultural heritage workers. But of course, this year, everything has had to pivot. A lot of countries in the Caribbean are in lockdown or in various phases of opening and closing. So travel was still continued internationally, still continues to be very difficult. So like everyone else, we pivoted and we created a virtual, a completely virtual conference that brings the best of the Mac conference into the virtual space as much as possible. Uh, Like you said, it's happening November 3rd to 5th. And the theme is, I think we hear this word everywhere, but it's cultivating resilience in museums and cultural heritage sites. And it really is about the fact that you know museums, just like all of these other industries over the past couple of years um, suffered quite a bit uh, as a result of the pandemic. They all had to shut their doors. They are used to um, serving a visiting public and all of a sudden there were no visitors to service. So they had to um, um, create new and innovative ways to reach out to people. There were a lot of staff cutbacks um, and um, in the Caribbean, the majority of the museums are really small institutions. You know, they have the, their bigger um, contemporary art museums as well as the, like we have here in the United States, but the majority, the larger body of them are small institutions with less than 10 people on staff. So you can imagine the financial resources were limited. So a lot of staff were let go. Um, And so there are are huge changes and huge shifts happening um, in the cultural landscape and in the museum landscape in the Caribbean and as well as here in the United States because we also have a lot of Caribbean diaspora members of MAC and we're gonna be talking about all that at the conference this year.
0: Fantastic. So not only are you working with MAC but outside of MAC, what do you do?
3: (laughs) I get the joy of being a culture curator at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Yay! So we're, uh, (laughs) all the curators are divided by history, culture and art. So I'm a culture curator, I I focus on what at our museum we call cultural expressions, which is kind of fun. Uh, It's like folk life and folk culture, traditional culture. Uh, A lot of fun things like beauty culture and food ways and other types of practices Mm. that are part of the black community. And I talk about the diasporic black community because I'm the the diasporic uh, curator there.
0: Right. And so I love that you, that you, you know, not only are you doing your work um, in D.C., but you continue to keep your finger on the pulse of the Caribbean region. And you, I've always seen your name associated with working with different museums and cultural groups within the region, making sure that to strengthen them and to, to strengthen their work. So it's really fantastic to see that you've you've continued to to do that work. So if we're joining you on November 3rd, what will we be walking away with? What skills, what knowledge are we gonna walk away with?
3: Well, we have over 19 uh, sessions uh, where individuals and staff members from different museums like the National Gallery of um, of the Bahamas or the National Gallery of the Cayman Islands, the National Museum of Bermuda. Um, There are museums from over 18 countries. um, Having staff um, speak about um, how they survived the lockdown, uh, what kind of digital strategies they're using today, We have a really, really great session focused on um, post-disaster cultural recovery in Haiti with someone who's been on the ground looking at what happened. He was there in charge of the cultural recovery work after the first earthquake in 2010. He's he's been doing the report for this year as well. So he'll be talking about what that looks like for Haiti today. Um, And then we have a really awesome keynote uh, panel to open up the entire conference on November 3rd. And that features um, University of South Africa's um, uh, dean of the graduate school, Mark Raymond, who is from Trinidad and Tobago and has done a lot of work in the Caribbean. And he's going to be talking. His uh, talk is uh, titled Soon Come, Anticipating Memory. And it looks at how museums and architecture can play an important role in sort of looking at our past and um, figuring out how to um, um, change, you know, bring transformational change to the future. Because as you know, our history is problematic.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to joining you. I think um, Suzanne mentioned as well that there's some, some, um, some pieces of the conference that she would like to catch as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So once we've um, decided that we wanna be a part of the conference, is there a fee for joining the virtual conference this year? There is.
3: You do have to register for the conference and you can do that at Caribbean Museums with an s.com. Um, and the fee is based on where you're located. So we have a non uh, Caribbean uh, fee and we have a key fee for people in the Caribbean. So the rates are lower because we know the exchange rate to the American dollars are very different depending on where you live. We also have fees for students and retirees. Uh, individuals and institutional. I really want to promote the institutional rate because it's super affordable. Uh, between $200 and $275, depending on where you live, again, you're going to be able to get five staff members to attend the conference. So that's the one super affordable, end because that's really important with the MAT conference, that people from within the Caribbean be able to afford it and be able to attend. Uh, and it's uh, not all um presentations and talking heads the best of the MAC conferences being able to see spaces um the museum loves the landscape and the cultural heritage of the Caribbean so we'll have virtual museum tours we have um these mix and sips in the evenings for the social aspect we have house of Angostura coming in to teach us how to make a drink and to uh do it and then we'll do a tour of their museum as well one night and then we have her creations coming in the other two nights they're also out of Trinidad and Tobago also teach us how to make a drink, but also to, to, to witness to see musical performances like a Bahama News, Bahamas Junkie News Sampler. And then we have Peter Ivey out of Jamaica, who's um who heads reggae chefs, and he's gonna do a whole lunch plenary on food as a form of resilience for Caribbean people.
2: I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. how you guys merge like the, you know, the foods and the culture and the drinking as part of the as part of the program because I mean I have to admit I did spend a lot of time during quarantine watching videos on YouTube um cooking and on music and all this other stuff. So it's a really nice kind of um, um you know niche that you guys are uh, presenting.
3: Well, we kept hearing everyone was tired of being on zoom so we we're like well how can we make it as fun as possible and what do people mm-hmm. love about the Matt conference secretly we think it's you know, you know half of the experience is being in the caribbean so how could we bring more of that and you know and being able to walk around and see the things and experience the food how could we bring that more into the conference
1: so no so- soca session planned
3: <laughs> <laughs> but we're also looking forward you know our host next year was supposed to be the bahamas this year and they just transferred their hosting Um, uh, eligibility the next year. So we're hoping to be back in the Bahamas in 2022, doing everything on the ground again.
0: I love it. So Mm -hmm. if your organization or you're a professional who would like to join MAC, how do they do so?
3: You go to our website, caribbeanmuseums.com and you hit up the membership page. Again, we also have very affordable rates. Individual rate is only $50 to become a member of MAC. And that gets you access to the network. And that's MAC's biggest asset. That we put you in touch with other people in the Caribbean diaspora all over the world, but also within the Caribbean who are museum and heritage professionals. And that network is what people tell us over and over again that they love so much about the organization. They build colleagues and friendships. They create collaborations out of that. So it's that connection point that we create for for everyone. And this is not—it's not easy to do. The Caribbean is a multinational, multi-multilingual. Um, Uh, region. So people are doing that across um, languages and across, you know, territories that are are nationally have very different ways of running their museums as well.
2: Um, You know, I want to say also that I really like the theme of the, um, of the, of the conference, but also I think it's so, I don't know how to phrase this, maybe this is too provocative, but, you know, in the past year, First, it was this whole thing in Cuba that is still happening. So there's like this whole act of resilience there. And then when we were talking earlier about what happened in Memorial Act in Guadalupe with Laura Rincón, that she was Mm -hmm. ousted for knowing that there was corruption in the museum. And then luckily now she's been reinstated. But there's Mm -hmm. also some other, you know, aside from COVID, there's this very real kind of moments of resilience that we're experimenting in the region um, Yeah, I wanted to kind of throw that in there. (laughs) Resilience and
3: reckoning, right? Because even the whole word reckoning is happening there too. People are talking about social justice issues um, in the countries as well. We had that incident in Martinique uh, a couple of years ago with the the statue of Josephine being, you know, torn down and uh, solidarity uh, marches um, with the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. Uh, so I think I think it's fantastic that 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 is that what's happening, and re- I would also say that resilience isn't something that's new, right, for Black people mm-hmm. who have had to, you know, uh, undergo so much trauma, um, and certainly not uh, certainly true for the Caribbean as well. For
2: people that are still in colonies, I mean, I'm born there in Puerto yeah. Rico, and we so so you know this kind of colonial or decolonial experience certainly um, is part of it. So.
3: We have something to teach, and the Puerto Rican perspective is really important. Last year, when we did our State of Caribbean Museums um, uh, webinars, last year when COVID first happening, Puerto Rico kept reminding us, uh, "We've been living like this for the past <laughs> five years since the hurricane. You know, this is nothing new. We're in we're in crisis management and damage control
0: <laughs> all the time."
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. One more time, where can people go to register? Yeah,
3: please go to CaribbeanMuseums.com. The entire schedule for the website is there. You'll find out the registration rates, uh, and, and you'll also be able to uh, become a member of MAC if that's something you're interested in. Please join. Uh, Marie Lena, we want to see you there. <laughs> we haven't gotten you to a MAC conference yet, but we will eventually. So, yeah.
2: Yes, Deanna, yeah, no, count on me, and we are our Power Members.
3: So, yeah, I should be yeah, able to are.
2: join. And definitely, I'm, I'm definitely want to know more, and, and, and I'm excited to okay. be a part of it at thank some point. You. Thank you.
0: Joanne, thank you so much for joining us, and we will definitely be there.
2: Sure. Bye, y'all.
0: Bye-bye. Thank Bye, you. Joanne. Thank you. But Maria, you brought yes. something to our attention that I think is really important, even though this happened back in August. So this story looks like it came from August 3rd, which means it probably happened in July but we're gonna kick this off to you about the director of the slavery, slavery Memorial in Guadalupe.
2: Yeah, so, you know, over the past year, last year during quarantine, we did a fellowship with Ronaldo Royal and we partnered the Memorial Act at PAM to, and it was a great partnership because they su- supported him with the studio. And then we were able to uh, provide him with a stipend and also put him in contact with different professionals. To, to, you know, in, for him to create work and get feedback and cultural visits. So Claire cantan Pond did an interview with him, Jerry Philogene is writing an essay on his work. So it was great. Now during the late, so this started in November and then by, I don't know, April and so on, you know, we, we, we were hearing that things were changing and we were acting, we were surprised because everyone was so fantastic. And then we come to find out in August the, the director Bela Rincon was ousted um, because she found a corruption. It was, like, I believe, it's like four hundred twenty euros, million euros yeah. missing from the budget. A thousand, a thousand. Yeah, which is which is crazy. I mean, when you think about um, our institutions in the cultural sector, especially in a year that was so traumatic. Like you would hope that if money is being moved around, you will know about it, not just disappearing. You know, I think that's when things you kind of feels like a red flag, right? Um, luckily, she was uh, recently reinstated because she got support from the from the art community, and she also I think that they went uh, to some type of trial of sorts. Yeah, and and she was reinstated, but I do think that it's important to to bring that into awareness because you know, COVID, yes, it's been quite awful, but before COVID, there's some of, some our institutions are, you know, they go they were in perils, conditions, right? And then that it's important for us as our professionals to, to be cognizant of and how to maneuver that. You know, I, I commend Laurela for having um, the smartness. I'm sure that she was also with great support of other people, but to maneuver that situation. Because I think if it would have happened to me or to another person, I mean, we would have been shocked. Like, what do I do now? Because my livelihood is in trouble, right? Were you guys also aware of the story or?
1: I started the news um, and it was, it was of, of great interest because, you know, these things do happen. And you wonder like of the, of the behind the news story, like what's really going on? And is there like, what does missing mean? And like, where did it slip through the cracks and what's happening? Um, like you say to her by bringing it to the forefront and kind of requiring accountability and requiring um, transparency around it. And, you know, to stamp out any kind of mismanagement, if we're going to put it kindly, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what I, that's, that's my go-to. So I, I wonder, like if there was intimidation, um, I feel I feel for her. I don't know her, never met her, but I think, you know, woman to woman, standing for the, you know, for for um the right kind of development and progress required for the institutions and stuff to be maintained, sustained, and kept to a certain level of integrity, you know? Um, and so I was really surprised to hear about her reinstatement. Again, just a news article. Um And I wonder what life is like for her now with the board and, you know, how all that is, but, you know, the resolution internally. Um, But it was the right thing to have happened at least, you know, and I hope she succeeds.
0: And it's also a cautionary tale. I think this is not an unusual story, unfortunately. It's really important that we pay attention to our museums um, and that we are, you know, really, careful with and protective of the directors of art museums, because it's not unusual for governments to siphon money from museums that service people of color and to service from small populations, to take that money and put it somewhere else and then blame the director for it when, you know, clearly that's been a way to just kind of take money, you know, from those yeah. institutions and not give them what they need to actually be great and compete with, you know, other institutions in the world. So this is, you know, a story that you need to watch. This was in our newspaper on August 3rd. I will some maybe tweet this out so people can actually kind of, you know, pull it in and see it. But if that's, you know, really something that we need to think about, you know, with our institutions. And so we just finished talking about the MET conference, you know, hopefully that gives you a chance to, to get to know some of the directors who are in the region, some of the directors who are outside the region who are doing the work and being sure that you're, you know, careful with them and protective of them and making sure that, you know, that they're not being taken advantage of, that they have what they need to actually program and service the community. So I'm really happy that Ms. Rincon got her position back and hopefully the government or whoever's responsible make sure that this doesn't happen again and they can watch their budgets and get yeah them from somewhere. And
2: Memorial Act is a beautiful museum. So like it's a beautiful place. So if you if you're listening and you haven't been and you need an excuse to go to Guadalupe, that's a great excuse to go. So <laughs> getting so there is gonna just, be
1: the challenge.
2: Yes. But I just wish success to the museum as well. Because sure. it's been it's it's a great venue, it's a beautiful place, um, great initiative. So it's great that it was funded and founded in the to begin with. So obviously. The there was a great alignment there. Um, but we just need to keep moving forward, right? Yep,
0: ladies. This is episode one. We did it,
1: and there's so <laughs> much more. I mean, in terms of the news and everything, yes. so we, we have to pay so much
0: more. So, yeah. yes, so this was just like kind of like back to school, you know like back to school. You go back to school, like you don't really do any work, you just talk about what you did all summer, and kind of <laughs> this is what this is like but we are coming hard at you next week. So you can join us next week on This Week in in Caribbean Art and Culture. I'm so excited, guys. So that's it. And um, we will see you soon. Ladies, have a fantastic week. Be safe.
1: Thank you, you too. Thank you, you too.